That's why I have that. Although the references are good, the references that are here are the ones I'm going to be using today. Our, uh, I guess we're missing darling. My grandma. All right. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you and we, we try to address one of, the, one of the toughest topics, God, as we try to address our words and, and what comes out of our mouths, I pray that you would soften our hearts toward this where we've had hardness. Um, many of us have done the same thing for a very long time, God, and I pray that whatever that is for every single person here, that you would have brought them here for a reason, God, that you have something to say to them. And I pray that uh, I would only have words today that are, that are true and that are yours. And I just thank you for all that in your name. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the power of your tongue. Now this is something that... Um, Everybody's familiar with, I think. All of you have been around people who have either built you up or torn you down. Probably everyone has had things said to them that they remember forever. You don't always remember everything, but there's certain things, good or bad, that you all probably will remember till you die. Um, the words can be inspiring, words can be depressing. Uh, words can teach you how to live. In many cases, they can teach you how not to live. Some of you grew up in homes where words had real meaning. If somebody said something, it really meant that. And some of you grew up in homes where most of what was said was a lie or was meaningless or was never followed through on. Words have shaped the greatest and the most terrible people in history. Some of us use too many words, and some of us use too few. I would say less of us use too few. Probably most of us are on the other side of that. Now, each of us has at one time in our lives regretted something you've either said or you've left unsaid. I hope everybody can at least be with me on that one. Either something you've said or left unsaid, you have some regret about. There's a lot of emotion tied up with words in this culture today. Uh, we're trained to only use the most correct words that offend the least amount of people. That's politically correct, right? So fair warning today might not be completely politically correct. If I offend you, then, you know, hopefully it's just God's word offending you. Words can make you either highly effective or can make you completely ignored. Has, have you ever ignored somebody because you know what words are going to come out of their mouths? I, I think I have, and it's, it's not necessarily good. So let me just give you a few words to give you some perspective here about how powerful words are, because the majority of today is going to just be talking about the power of words and give you some stuff to do next week, during the week, so that you come back and you're prepared for next week, because next week's going to be a little tougher. So you have to come back for next week. How about this quote? Uh, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Think about what that meant during the time it was happening and the, the race that was going on. Think about what those words meant. How about this quote? 
And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what, your co- what you can do for your country. You think those words had an impact on certain people? Those words were powerful? And he paid more taxes after. Okay. Here's another one. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Does anybody know who said that? Winston Churchill. To a group of people who were pretty desperate. To a group of people who were being bombed and shelled and their cities were being destroyed. Those words had power. Those words had meaning to those group of people. That changed, that changed how things worked the rest of that war. How about this? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Those are important words, I'd say. This one always seems silly, but how about Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Powerful words. Now we want to build one. How about, how about make America great again? You think those protesters have some emotion about those words? There's other people who have emotion about those words, but those words are powerful. They are getting people out in the streets. They have power. They have meaning. Here's one that stuck with me when I found it. It says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I I suppose we all thought that one way or another. Do you know who said that? Oppenheimer said that, the creator of the atom bomb. You think that's, those words were powerful to him? How do you, I, I, I don't know how he dealt with the rest of his life. Same man said these two. He said, words build bridges into unexplored regions. That sounds, sounds kind of nice. Words can build bridges, right? He also said, make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. Anybody know who said that? Adolf Hitler said that. He said both of those things. I think some of his words had power. They convinced a whole group of people, not all of those people were just evil downright, to want to exterminate a whole race. That's power. But how about these? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those words certainly have changed history. Just a few fun facts, just to get you interested here for a second. Did you know that you will speak somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 words every day? Some of you are on the high end of that, some of you are on the lower end of that, but that's about the average. That's 860 million words in your lifetime. We don't have a lot of people here today, but if you were filling books with the amount of words this group would say, it would fill this room. That's how many words will come out of our mouths. We use so many words, and every single one of them has the potential to either build up or tear down. The Bible just talks about the tongue 188 times. Now, that seems like a lot when you consider that the tongue is just kind of an ugly muscle, but it's obvious why it talks about it, right? And it talks about how you use your words another 406 times. The Bible talks from beginning to end about how to use your words, and we're going to hit a bunch of them today. Um, Next week, we're going to go into 
a little more practical, a little more speaking life, but some of you might not be ready to speak life yet. And I realized when I had to start studying this week that I wasn't ready to speak life, and we'll talk about what that means. Um, Some of us need to just analyze what we're actually saying and what does it mean. Um, Honestly, in churches today, what comes out of our mouths has sort of become a lesser sin. Give me someone who has a drug addiction. Give me someone who's cheated. Give me someone who curses too much. Give me someone who's a liberal, you know, any of that. And the church knows how to deal with them, right? The church knows how to, we know how to deal with those sins. But somehow, all the words that come out of our mouths, we're not, we don't address. When was the last time you went up to someone you loved and said, boy, what's coming out of your mouth? You know, it's really hurtful. It's really harming. You know, I care about you. I want to see this go a different way. When was the last time anybody did that? And yet, think about those 860 million words you're going to say. Think they're important? They are. Somehow we've decided in our great wisdom that these are sins to ignore in others. And probably because if you had to deal with somebody else, you, you might have to deal with yourself too first. If I'm going to go talk to you about how your words are coming out, that means I probably should have dealt with how my words are coming out first. And that's a difficult thing for most of us. So we're going to learn today that your words matter to God and that anyone that is striving to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, so hopefully that's everybody here today, will look for leading on how to make your words God's words. So this is a tough topic for Christians. We don't like to deal with it. So you have a bunch of application in your notes. I spent most of my week just gathering application for you because it's going to be way more effective than anything I say today. Because God says a lot about your words. And we ignore so much of it that it's easy to find. Spend some time in Proverbs and you'll find some stuff out about your words. So... Only you can make this change. I I feel like I say this in every message, but if you spend the rest of this message thinking about someone else and their words, you're not going to do anything about yourself, right? It's it's so fun to sit in a sermon and say, boy, I wish such and such was here to hear this sermon, right? I like to do that too sometimes. I'll sit there, man. Or maybe somebody is here and I'm like, boy, I hope he's not sleeping today. (laughs) I hope he heard some of this, right? This one's for you. There's nobody in this, there's no one sitting here that this does not apply to. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. You know that words have power. But I'm hoping that the reason God brought you here today is that you're actually going to examine where you are. You're actually going to look at what your words are doing. And you're going to find out at the end why that's so important. If you want to, you can turn to Genesis 1. I'm only going to stay there for a second. But most of you know what Genesis 1.1 says. As you turn there, I'll, I'll read the first few verses. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and there was the first day. Verse 6. And God 
said, and I'll let you, you can skim down the rest of that chapter and see how many times it says God said. God has built into the very fabric of the universe that words have power. His words brought everything into being. And just like we learned this morning in in Sunday school, he's sustaining that. He didn't just create everything, he's sustaining that. We're created in his image, and our words have power too. Now, they don't have enough power to speak things into existence, but our words do have the power to build up or to destroy. And it's usually in each other rather than in things. Proverbs 18.21 is sort of our kicking off verse. This is where we're going to leap from. You can turn there if you want. You should underline this in your Bible. Everybody should know this verse. It's Proverbs 18.21. It says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now you, can spend, you can spend a long time trying to learn that and trying to figure out that last part. What does it mean? And those who love it will eat its fruit. Sometimes you speak too much, you're going to eat the fruit of that. That's a scary thing. So your, power, your tongue actually has the power of life and death. We're early in the sermon, so I, I'm, my guess is some of you maybe haven't bought into that yet. You don't actually believe that your words have the power of life and death. Um, some of you might even say, well, I'm not important enough. How could my words affect anyone like that? Well, forget that. <laughs> you know, God created you. God loves you. God has a plan for you. And even if you're not in his will right this moment, and even if your words are not building light and life into other people, that doesn't mean they can't start today. doesn't mean we can't start today having words that build up. Some of you are saying, I've never said anything to have anybody killed. I hope nobody here has actually given any, the command to have anybody killed. Okay, good. All right. Um, but the Bible says that physical death is not the worst thing that can happen, is it? They can take my body, but if they take my soul, that's where I'm in trouble, right? So this often has to do with words unsaid. Sometimes it's that friend or coworker that you really, really like and you've had a great relationship with and you don't want to mess it up by actually bringing up Christ or that you're a Christian. And as far as you know, that person has never accepted Christ. And one day that person dies. And all of a sudden, the impact of what words could have meant kind of hits you, right? If you had said something, right? Now, who knows what would have happened? But that's just it. Who knows? We're commanded to say these things. We're commanded to spread God's word with our words. So those are some words that can go unsaid that can kill. How about some words that are often said that kill or destroy? The girls, uh, the ladies just did a really good study about, it's called Keep It Shut, which was about your words and about what comes out of your mouth. And um, one of those topics is obviously going to be gossip, right? Gossip's one of those in churches that, my goodness, has been just accepted. I'm not talking just about this church. If you feel like I'm talking to you, 
well, maybe you're, you're gossiping too much. But every church, it feels like, has accepted the fact that people are just going to gossip, you know? And has anyone here ever had someone slander them? Said bad things about them to other people? What, is that, what does that feel like when that happens? That feels like a death to me. That feels like the relationship often because it's someone who loves you or did love you just destroyed that relationship. It's killed whole churches. I've seen it in this church, to be honest. I mean, I, I think we've seen it enough, in, enough times where people have left and sometimes it's because of gossip. And that's just how it is. And we accept it. Well, today I'm hoping not to accept it. That's why I'm bringing it up, I guess. Right? Hopefully we're not going to accept it anymore. So here's what gossip usually is. Let's define it. Let's, let's get our hands around something so that we can say, don't, don't do that anymore, right? So gossip is often someone knows about 60% of what's going on. And for some reason, they feel moved to tell someone else about it. And it, it, oftentimes this happens in churches with a prayer request where they say, oh, please be praying for such and such. They're really having a hard time with their marriage. I think maybe he's, you know, whatever. And the prayer request one, right? Where you know a bit of it and you don't know all of it and yet you share it. That's, that's, that would be a gossip. So here's your definition and this is in your notes and I hope that everyone will take it to heart. We've heard this same definition in like four different studies that Chip Ingram has done. So I hope you've heard it before. If you haven't, take it to memory. If you aren't part of the problem or you aren't part of the solution, do not share or receive the information. That's what it comes down to. If you are not part of the problem or part of the solution, that information is not yours to share. And as soon as you do, consider it gossip. And remember, when our list of sins is up here again, and we say cheating, lying, stealing, murder. When we talk about what God cares about, a lot of times gossip can get stuck right, right toward the top. God hates it. God hates gossip. We've accepted it, but God hates it. So next time you know some information about a situation and you're trying to decide if you should speak to anyone about it, ask yourself, am I a part of the problem or the solution? And is that person I'm about to tell a part of the problem and the solution? If they aren't, don't say it. It's not worth it. Gossip doesn't get you anywhere anyway. It makes us feel good for a minute, like we knew something about someone. But who you just told now knows, boy, that person, I shouldn't really trust that person anyway. They're just going to share stuff about me. Gossip's, gossip doesn't get you anywhere. If you're like me, you may already be ahead of this. You've said to yourself something like, but I had to tell such and such that person, because they're my support system, right? So they're my support system. I had to tell them because they always help me make decisions. Well, somebody tell me where it's biblical that someone else is your support system before the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Go find that first and then decide if you should do it. And deep down, you know whether you should have told somebody or not. You usually know. You know you, you couldn't convince yourself or something, but you know. So think about it this way. If you had to stand before Jesus and make the argument about why you told somebody something, would your argument hold up? Usually when I have to make an argument in front of Jesus Christ, or at least I imagine that, 
I'm thinking better safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry. I'll just say, nope, I just, I'm not going to say it. This applies, and this is important, to incoming information. If someone starts to gossip to you, you are also responsible. You are responsible to stop that. If you take the information in, it is still gossip. It is still on. You just have to say, you know, I don't feel like I'm a part of the problem or the solution. I, you know, please don't tell me about that. Okay, everyone's uncomfortable. We'll move on to the next one. Now, how about um, complaining? You know, <laughs> complaining, I don't think people even think it's a sin anymore, to be honest. Everyone just complains. I, I, I complain all the time, I realized. As I was trying to define what complaining is, I realized, my goodness, I complain a lot. It's a national pastime. If we stopped complaining, I think half the words would go away. I think our average would come down by like half. Okay, I'm starting with a joke because this got about to get serious now. Um, yes, everyone complains. Everyone complains. But God hates it. Just because everyone doesn't, doesn't change the fact that God hates it. And given everything, he has given you everything you have. Everything you have, every good thing that's ever happened to you, he has made. And so the next time you start complaining about something, you might as well say, direct it toward God. Direct it where it belongs. Say, God, I don't like it. God, it's too cold in here. God, you know, those kids sure make a lot of noise. You know, God, we all complain. And here's a good definition again. Let's, let's define what complaining is. And this, this actually gives you a little freedom if you can follow it. This is making negative statements about something that you are not going to take steps to correct. If you have nothing to do with correcting the issue, don't bother saying anything negative about it. It's not on you. You can pray for that person. You can pray for that situation. But if you just throw out negative comments about that situation or that person, then you're complaining. Take a second to think about that. If it isn't something that you're trying to help fix in a positive way or see a positive outcome, then you don't have to say anything about it. All right, I talked about God hating it. And you have two chapters in your notes. Um, one is Exodus 32, one is Numbers 11. And I hope that you'll go read those because the context is really important. I'm just going to summarize for you, okay? Go, but go read them. The context is so important when you see the Israelites and you see how God deals with them. So the Israelites are usually somewhere down here and Moses is usually up here, right? He's up on a mountain or something and he's talking to God and, you know, he's shining bright like the sun and they're down there making calves and complaining, right? And it says, and their complaints rose to the ears of God and God said, get out of the way, Moses, Get out of the way, Moses. I'll make you a great nation, but I'm going to incinerate them. I'm going to incinerate those stubborn, hard-hearted people because they're complaining after he had supplied them with manna and he had gotten them through the, the desert and he had brought them through the sea and he had given them water and they still complained. He said, I'm tired of it. Moses, move out of the way. I'm going to incinerate them. And part of their outside of their camp was singed. It burned up, it says a little bit. The gaze of the fiery wrath of God singed the outside of their camp. Now, 
you know, Moses and he had a discussion and they didn't incinerate them. Well, you tell me how serious God took that complaining. And I hope you don't think we're any different. He supplied them manna, he supplied your car. He supplies your food. Even if it's not what you want, even if it's not as great as that next door neighbor's, but God has supplied everything you have. So, take it seriously. Here's one more lighthearted example then. You're at home and you just make a comment like this with your wife in the room. Boy, there sure is a lot of laundry to be done. (laughs) I look over this way. Or, uh, there's sure, look at all the dishes. Boy, there's a lot of dishes. They smell bad. Look, that garbage stinks. Those are complaining statements that unless you have a plan to do something about, you, you better have a plan. I'm looking over there. You better have a plan. That's complaining. That's complaining. And in that case, you better have a plan. I, I talked about God's wrath, but sometimes the wife's wrath seems more, you know, here and now sometimes, right? So oftentimes all that, all that complaining just, just brings so much negativity into you, right? You're putting it in. You're just complaining and complaining, and your outlook is negative. And so if there are things that you're not supposed to say anything about, you get to practice 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. These are, these are memorizing verses if I ever saw them. They're in your notes. Feel free to memorize them as well. It says this, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. If you do a study about, in the Bible about what God says about your words and how you use them, you're going to find a bunch of common themes. And we're hitting some of them today. And one of them is, sometimes you just have to be quiet. If you don't have anything nice to say, it really means don't say it. You know, in this, this culture that we live in now, it says, boy, say, you, know, empower, you're, you should be empowering yourself to say what you feel. and Boy, that's, that is such garbage. You need to practice silence. Use silence as a way to let God speak to you. Um, because some of us just plain talk too much. We just talk too much. A friend of mine at work tells the story all the time. She's an auditor. And she audits people's therapy notes. So if you go to therapy... That person has to write a note that's appropriate, right? And they audit them. She says this to people all the time. The more you write, the more likely an auditor is to find fault. The same thing has to do with your words. The more you say, the more just verbal diarrhea there is, the more likely you're going to say something wrong. You're going to say something that hurts somebody. So a lot of times saying less is often the safer path. So I've given you sort of, hopefully, I've given you enough to know that God thinks it's important, that your words are really important. Here's the why, and here's hopefully why you're all here, because this is the most important part. The why. Why does God take words so seriously? You can turn, let's all turn, Luke 6.45. I've talked about memorizing verses. This one in your notes actually says memorize. This is your memorization. It's in the bulletin for the week. And it says this, Luke 6, 45, a good man brings good things 
out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The reason that what comes out of your mouth is so important is it is literally a mirror of what's in your heart. Those times when you're stressed out, those times when something bad happens, and we all give ourselves a pass, a pass on the words that we use, use that as a time because what comes out of your mouth when you're angry or when you're hurt, that's a reflection of what's in your heart. That's why it's so important because God cares about the heart. We're going to turn now to James 3. We're going to read this in three different contexts, and I, I, I hope you'll bear with me, but I think it's important to see how, how often the New Testament talks about this. It says James 3, and we're going to do 2 through 12 now. It says this, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. That sounds nice. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they are driven and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Now likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, the world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, but with it we also curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt water, a salt water spring produce fresh water. Well, there's a lot there. I hope that it's, I hope that that, he just repeats it over and over and over and over again. Can your fruit be good when what's inside is evil? When what's inside is filthy? Can salt water produce fresh water? It can't. So if you want to see a change in your words, if you want to see a change in your heart, you have to change what's going, going in to change the output. The text says that the tongue is evil it can corrupt the whole body. We can't hope to contain it. The only way we can hope to contain it is through the Holy Spirit. Man can't do it on their own. I think, we, I think if you look around, you see that. If you see people who are non-Christians, they often don't have any control over their mouths. And you see plenty of Christians who are the same. But I think without the Holy Spirit, you literally have very little control over your mouth, at least when you feel threatened. If you feel threatened, all of a sudden, what, what spills out is often ugly and evil. And you've heard people say things that you're like, I've known that person for 50 years. Well, when they took their mask off for a minute and they were agitated and things got real for a minute, 
You saw what was in their heart. Now, I'm hoping that you'll apply this and not just be afraid of this. If the tongue is a mirror of your heart, what is it telling you? What, what's going on with you right now based on what's coming out of your mouth? Or what, those words that almost come out of your mouth. You know, those ones that are in your head and you wanted to say? Those count too. What, what are those telling you? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Are you depressed? Are you just kind of mean? Are you always agitated? Like, what do those words tell you? Use it. Use it as a way to say, where's my heart? And realize this, I hope everyone realizes this. Your words represent your family. Your words represent your church. And your words, most importantly, represent God. People are watching everything you do and everything you say. And as soon as you say you're a Christian, they're watching you even closer. They want to know, does that Christian gossip? They want to know, does that Christian complain? Does he say vulgar things? Does he curse all the time? They're non-Christians. They're going to look at you and say, why in the world? Why would I want to live that hypocrisy that is coming out of that guy's mouth? I hope when they look at me, they don't see that. Sometimes I'm afraid they do. So I'm going to leave it to you guys to read Matthew 12, 33 through 37. I'm just going to read the last part. It says a very similar thing about the fruit. And, he's, and uh, read the whole thing. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here. But here's the last part, and it says, A good man brings out things that are stored up in him, and an evil man brings out evil things that are stored up. But I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. I, don't, I, don't, I hope I don't have to say too much about that reference. That reference kind of makes me feel sick. The thought... The thought that one day I have to stand before Christ and he and I are going to look each other in the face. He's going to know everything I've said. And I bet you I'm going to think about everything I've ever said in front of him. And I'm going to, I don't know what answer I'm going to have. It says I'm going to have to answer. I don't know what answer I'm going to have to have other than I, I'm not very good at it. But I'm going to say, it's not that he's going to send me to hell for it, right? Your words are not going to take you to heaven or to hell. That's a soul issue. But I'm going to have to say to the man who died on the cross and took my sin onto himself that I didn't care enough to watch my words. That I spent my whole life with eight point some odd three million and I didn't take one week out of my life to say, what kind of words do I say? What kind, how, am, how are my words impacting? What change should I make? I, I don't want to face him and say that. I hope none of you want to face him and say that. Thing is, no matter what place you are in your life, we're going to learn about this next week, you may not be able to do anything with your hands. You may not have much energy. But if you can speak life into other people, that's way more important anyway. A lot of people come toward the end of their lives and say, there's nothing I can do left. If you can speak life into young people and help them to grow and make it so that this church is great again or that this, this area sees God again, that's way more important than being able to clean the floor in here. It's just how it is. If you master this, it says you can master your whole body. 
I think this is, I think this is worth saying. Um, right now, we have a country that feels divided, right? And we get, we get angry, we, get, we look at what's going on, and we, we, we have an emotion, right? And sometimes that emotion flows out of our mouths. But here, here I think is something really important. The next 100 days of Trump would be less effective than whatever our next 100 days would be if we just spoke his love to everyone around us. Trump's next 100 days are not going to change things nearly as much as the protesters want to think. And they're not going to change things nearly as much as the hardcore conservatives want to think. They're actually going to change very little in the scheme of things. But if Christians decided that we don't, we aren't going to just argue about politics, we're actually going to say, you know what, maybe this is a good 100 days to heal. Maybe this is a good 100 days to spread God to people who are seeking. You think those people who are protesting aren't seeking? They... They're not even sure what they're against. We're not even sure what we're for sometimes, but they're not sure what they're against. And it's because they're seeking. This is a hard issue. Politics are not going to fix it. God may set up the government that he sets up, but this is a hard issue in, in, in our country. And if we spend 100 days just speaking God's word and just speaking positively to other people, you'll affect more lives than Trump will. At least long term. More souls will be in heaven because of what you did. I hope, I hope we realize that. All right, I'm going to close. I've given you a huge list of things to try, and this is not meant for you to do all of them. What I want you to do is say, who am I? How do I respond best? How do I change? We all have different things. Some people write note cards and put them in their pocket. Some people put the ring on the other finger to remind them of things. Look at that list and pick three or four things. There's like 15 things on there. Use the ones that are good for you so that you can come back next week and we can have a conversation about how to use our words positively. Because some of us might only be at the point where we just need to be silent. And that's okay. God says it's better to be silent. God says a lot of times, over and over and over again, I didn't put all the references in there, it's better to keep your mouth shut. And that is okay. If that's what you need to learn this week, that's probably... I, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. And I know you're, the top, the, the thing says to change your tongue in a week. You're not going to change your tongue in a week. But I'm hoping you'll put some change in your life that will transform you. It will change how you speak over the long haul. I'm going to leave you with a short verse from Psalms. And we're going to go right into prayer with this. And this verse I have in there that you'll pray every morning. This is a great short verse to start your day off every single day. It says this, Psalm 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let's pray. God, as we go out, from, go out from here and we represent you to the world around us, I pray that our words would have meaning and I pray that we would take an account of what we say every day. That it would matter to us that one day we're going to have to stand before you, God, and, and say why we hurt others with our words. Say why we used empty words. God, I pray that, that something inside of us would just say, I don't want to do this anymore the way I've been doing it. I want to put positive things in so that my heart can be changed. So that I can be transformed to be more like your son. 
God, as we go out, set a guard on our mouth and keep watch over our lips. I thank you for all that in your name. Amen.